I pour my heart into this audition. And normally they'll say like, oh, thanks for your time. We'll let you know. But when the answer is obvious, there is no need to make a person wait, right? Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the personal narrative kind of story, and the people that craft and tell them. Each week, a storyteller will tell one of their stories. This week, it's actually two. And then break it down with me, Sean. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, but also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories. Personal stories. Grit stories. And this week, some more 99-second stories by our most recent slam winner, Tori Shine. Tori lives up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She is part of season two, dedicated entirely to women and their stories. I met Tori earlier this year. She's been part of a few groups that I facilitate, and she's done very well in the 99-second slams. In fact, she has won two of them. And again, she won the most recent one last weekend with two fantastic stories. You'll hear both of them today. In fact, you heard a small part of one of them already. We release new episodes every Friday, or at least that is our goal. So if you like this podcast, subscribe. It really will help us out. You can also rate and review if you listen on Apple. Remember, check the show notes for upcoming events and classes, including a 99-second workshop that I'm teaching with Story Jam Steph Rogers and another Grit Beginners Bootcamp, which will be starting up in the next couple of weeks. All right, without further ado, Tori Shine, let's dive in. Tori... When did I meet you, Tori? When was this? Several months ago? Maybe three or four months ago. I think the first time we met is I came to one of the Flash storytelling workshops that you were hosting through Grit. Like I'd seen the 99 Slam. Uh, and I think I was signed up for the next Slam, but I came to a Flash workshop a week or two before that. And you've won two of them since. I have now, yes. The most recent one, Tori won the most recent Slam, which was this past Sunday. And then one a few months before then, a couple months before then at least, right? How did you get involved in this kind of storytelling, personal narrative, not really 99 per se? It's interesting. My background has been in slam poetry for a really long time. Um, And when I moved, I moved from New York City to Pittsburgh about eight years ago. And when I lived in New York, I used to do poetry slam all the time, right? And there were three slams within walking distance of my apartment every week that I could go to. And I never really branched out into other genres. That was kind of the first performing art that I got into and I loved it and I could do it almost every day of the week. And when I moved to Pittsburgh, there was a slam that it met once a month and I was kind of craving other performing arts um, and just sort of craving other creative outlets. And I'd heard of The Moth in New York, but I just had never seen it. So actually the first time I went to The Moth was when I went looking for an apartment in Pittsburgh. Like the weekend I came looking for an apartment that was kind of my social thing that I did. Mm-hmm. And I just, I loved it. It was just this big theater and it was 10, I didn't perform. I just went and listened. It was 10 people sharing just kind of this, this moment of their life, you know, this, this piece of their lives. And I really loved it. Yeah. I told my first story a few months later. I love the truth, right? Like I love finding that kind of raw truth 
in what really happens. And I think there's something so powerful when somebody can convey a moment of their life in a way where you feel it and you understand mm -hmm. what it is and what it was, you know, whether you like them or not, or whether you're similar to them, you, you get it and you know who they are in that moment. So yeah, for me, it's just, it's been really fun to explore it. And when was that? When, when did you move to Pittsburgh? It was about eight years ago. So 2013. I always made it a creative challenge to try to write a story every month, right? I'd kind of map yeah. out the different themes and think like, can I figure out some true moment from my life on this theme that I think is worth telling or worth sharing? And I always wrote one. I didn't always put my name in the hat. Like I'd put my name in the hat if I felt like it was ready enough. But I told a bunch of probably, I've told I think at least 20 over the last eight years and I've had my name in the hat a bunch of other times. The story that you told at the 99 Second Story Slam, first round story, which we're going to hear in just a moment. It, was that a longer story? It was. It was. So was that one you actually performed at a moth or another event? I told that story at the moth probably five years ago, six years ago. The new version is better. I think I, think I could do it better at the moth now. I think I've, I've learned a lot right. kind of about the process. The moth version included the audition and then all these details about making the movie and about the premiere and you know, about the plot of the movie. I think I tried to pack way too much into that version. I thought there was something cool in it. So I tried to reinvent it into a 99. We're going to play the story, the story that got you into the second round of the 99 second slam, the one we just referenced. And then when that story is done, we're going to have a little fun music. We're going to reconvene and we're going to talk about the story. We're going to break it down. Yes. I am auditioning for the part of Lenore the lead female role in a low budget independent film. So they asked me to perform this very dramatic monologue twice. Once where I acted out and then a second time where I expressed the monologue silently into the camera with my face. I pour my heart into this audition. And normally they'll say like, oh, thanks for your time, we'll let you know. But when the answer is obvious, there is no need to make a person wait, right? The director looks me dead in the eye and he says, wow, you are a really bad actress. But then three weeks later, the same director calls me on the phone and offers me the part of Lenore. Well, so obviously when he watched back my audition tape, he must have seen something in me on film, you know, that he couldn't see in person. And so I ask him, did you watch my audition tape? And he says, yeah, look, Tori, I'll be totally honest with you. Out of everyone who auditioned for the part of Lenore, you are the only one who's available during the days we can get the film set. Say, Look, I know we got off on the wrong foot, but, but I can't make the movie unless I can cast this part. And I'm hoping you'll say yes, because I really, really wanna make this movie. Well, when the answer is obvious, there is no need to make a person wait, right? So I say, Let's do it. Let's make a movie. And we do. Boom. Question for you about that story. How did you take that story that we just heard? That was in around 99 seconds from what was your original one at the moth? Like five, six, seven minutes? Yeah, probably about six minutes. So if I'm listening to this, especially if I'm newer to this stuff, I'm thinking, how do you do that? How do you take something and essentially 
cut it by what, 70%, if my math is right, or six, whatever it is. So a number of the ones I've done at the 99, probably about half of my 99 second stories have been a revision of a moth story. About half of them are new and half of them, it was something I told at the moth and then rewrote. I think it's, it's really finding the heart of a moment, right? It's instead of trying to tell the whole story in less time, like, so for example, at the moth, I talk about the audition, but then in that story, I also talked about making the movie, right? right? And how it was really kind of ideal to be in a movie when they knew I was a bad actress because I didn't have to pretend, right? It wasn't like, you know, I got the part and I had to pretend like I was really good. I was able to have all of the fun of making a movie without any of the pressure of them expecting me to be good. <laughs> and I think that itself could be another maybe 99 second story, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's really figuring out what is what is one moment in the story where something pivotal happens, right? Where you realize something, where you grow, where you change, where you see something in another person change and that affects you. Yeah, I feel like in a 99 second story, I really struggle to figure out what is, right, what's the one thing I really want to communicate in this story. Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to say seven different things, I'm going to try to say one thing really well. There were various versions of the shorter story. Like you didn't just put it together and crush it. It went through versions, right? Yeah. I mean, so that particular story, the one about auditioning for the movie. Yeah. I mean, I workshopped that in your class, right? The the great storytelling workshop that you and Stephanie are co-taught. And yeah, I think the first version I brought to that class was about three, three and a half minutes. You know, this idea of something, I think it might be a 99 that particular story was actually really challenging to bring down to 99 seconds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to have two and a half minutes. You know, there's just a few details that I couldn't figure out how to fit in that I really think would have been great. But yeah, just editing, getting feedback from other people is critical, mm-hmm. right? Being able to hear other people's voices, hear other people's perspectives. And that one was challenging because there's so many different points. There's so many different kind of plot points or moments yeah. that I felt like were necessary, but it went through, gosh, like 20 plus drafts. Wow. Rewriting, rewriting. Wow. All right. So questions might be a tricky one with that particular story. How do you cut? How do you decide what makes it and what doesn't? What details to include and what to cut or whatever else? It actually came down to just a lot of word choice. Like how, like, so I guess one, one specific example is I remember when they, when the director called me and offered me the part, I really did for a moment Right. I thought like, oh, he must have watched my audition tape. He must have seen something in me on film. Like, I genuinely believed that. And part of the reason I believe that is like during the audition, he had mentioned people look different on camera than they do in person. So we're going to videotape your audition. And I was like, wow, you know, that sounds so professional and, and cool. I don't, didn't include that detail in this story, right, in the 99 second version. So, for example, I think the way I did it is I say in the second part of the audition where, you know, I express the monologue into the camera with my face. So saying into the camera kind of lets everybody know that it's being recorded. So that used to be a sentence or two of they videotaped the audition. Right. So thinking, I feel like I'm getting really technical, but thinking. No, but I think you're getting to him. But tell me if I'm off, you're like word choice. I don't think a lot of people I know your background is also like you mentioned this, like poetry. It matters. The words yeah. matter. It's not, and and sometimes it's efficiency. Even if you're not into 99 second stories, which is its own little sort of weird format, words matter. And especially with 99 seconds, like every, you want to make the most out of every word. And I think it's important to like to have time to tell it, right? Like one thing that's tempting is right, how much can I say? How talk? How fast can I talk? But that's not an engaging story, right? There's probably not. 
but there were details where I'm like, I can fit these in, but I'm not giving myself time to pause and actually experience it as I'm, as I'm telling it. But yeah, a lot of it was just, okay, here's something that I want in the story. Is there a way I can convey that in a word or a phrase through a facial expression or some of it was kind of the physicality of the performance as well. Right. Do you remember why you wrote that first version? Was that, so I assume there was a, a theme that you saw because I know a lot of people struggle with like, I don't have any stories. So one, you have a prompt or a theme. And then do you recall why, where you sort of made that connection to that of like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to play with that story from that time, that experience. So that story at the moth originally, I remember the theme, it was delusional. Okay. Um, and, and I was the one who was delusional, right? Where I kind of went in to this audition, like thinking like, oh, I'll audition for a movie. And they tell me flat out, you know, you're a bad actress. And then when they offer me the part again, I'm thinking like, oh, wow, you know, they must have seen something in me. And they're like, no, you're, you were our last choice. We've called everyone else. You're the only person available. <laughs> and this kind of happened several times, even throughout the making of the movie, several times where I thought like, oh, wait, this might be, be my big break. And it, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> I think one thing with picking stories, I hear people say that, like, do you have good stories? Or, or sometimes what I'll, I'll hear somebody describe some epic biography and somebody will say like, oh, you must have great stories. And that's true, but I don't think you need an epic biography for that, right? Like a good story oh. isn't about, here's a bunch of crazy things that happened. It's about what those things meant to you. I think some of my favorite stories at The Moth or, or at Grit or, or other storytelling shows, it's just it's an everyday moment. You know, it's not necessarily something huge. Yeah. You know, there's a difference of a kind of a story you might tell a friend in a bar of something crazy that happened that's really yeah. captivating and engaging. But if we think about, you know, the movies that we watch or the books we read, we're not, it's not just the plot. We're excited about the characters. We're excited about their arc. And that's one difference. I'm going to sound a little snobby here where you can tell somebody who's kind of put some time into the craft is they're rarely going to leave that part out of how they were feeling or thinking. They may not use those exact words, but it's going to be clear. Someone who's not as seasoned, this is what happened. You know? Right. They might focus more on the flashy details of what was happening around them yeah. as opposed to what those things meant to them. Now, if you were to rewrite, and you probably don't want it at this point, you've told that story and you were rewarded for that story, at least in the little bubble that is grit and people liked it and voted you through. After you told it, is there anything you, you thought to yourself, you know, if I had more time, I would have tweaked this or that, or maybe changed this or that, or even just a word, or are you kind of like, nah, it's, it's probably as good as it's going to get. So one thing, one thought I had right after doing the show is I think if I was going to tell it again, some of the biggest changes I would make in the next draft would actually be performative. Yeah. But it would be kind of fun because there's sort of this joke of like making expressions into the camera, mm -hmm. you know, me trying to act with my face during the audition. And I thought it would be kind of fun if I retold the story and throughout the story had lots of really extreme facial expressions, right? Like when he tells me I'm a bad actress, be like, oh. Right. Um, and throughout the story. Oh, I see. I got like a little meta thing going, just showing us how really bad you are in a, in a weird way. Uh, yeah. Um, I do it like when I told the story kind of once or twice, kind of do the facial, funny facial expression, but I thought it would be kind of fun to plant that. Oh, yeah. um, that would be kind of a fun performing device that I would like to try. Um, I wish I'd thought of that before the slam. It kind of it occurred to me after I did it. Uh, outside of the 99, you had already mentioned a few things. And that I know with story, there's at least for me, a lot of things we could talk about, 
But I've also learned our audience doesn't really want to hear a lot of things. They probably want to hear a few things. So find the heart, uh, word choice, among other things. Is there something you would, um, sort of a pro tip, whether it's 99 or not, that you think would benefit somebody who's newer to this? Maybe two things. One is just always, you want to let people know who you are in the story, right? Let them know kind of who you are and what you want in the beginning. Like, this is where I'm at in my life, right? That Like, that helps us kind of know who you are. Um, but I'd say something that's maybe a little more unique, at least for me, is like, I write by speaking, right? If I'm going to tell a story out loud, I don't write it on paper and then learn how to say it. I just, I say it, you know, I'm like, okay, I want to tell a story about this thing. I'm just going to say it over and over again until I find the way that sounds good, right? That's how you stumble into the efficient word choice. That's how you stumble mm. into, oh, wait, that phrase really works. So, you so you never need to see it on paper for your brain to feel comfortable? No, I do. So I, I'll type it up. Like I write it by speaking it. Okay. Once I feel like this is how I want it to sound. All right. So just so I'm clear, know who you are in the story and what you want. And then your second thing is, is, is a system of saying it, finding the sort of words and structure through saying it. And if you're going to do your style or your, your process, then potentially putting it on paper. Yeah, I definitely, I put it on paper and edit on paper, but I like to write while speaking. And I think if you're like, yeah, struggling with the story, sometimes I'll open up an audio app and I'll just record myself and I'll just try to talk through that section of the story a bunch of times. You know, How many I, times is a bunch of times for you? I mean, it depends on the story. Uh, dozens, maybe a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> right. A, a lot. Right. So when people say like, oh, they're just such a natural gifted speaker, and it might not even be a story, it might be more like a speaker or storyteller. Like I'm often thinking, yeah, they might have a sort of natural gift for that type of thing, but more often they're just practicing a lot. Yeah, I'll do. I, I like to say it over and over. I also play back the recordings. Like I play back my recordings to see how it sounds. You, I'm going to ask you to speculate here. Okay. Why your story was a handful of stories that went through to the second round, the story we heard. What do you think people liked about it? I think that story, it's, it's fun. It's entertaining. It's surprising. It's also honest. Like the idea that you're willing to essentially say, I'm not a good actor. And I know it. Like at the end, we get that you, I don't know if that's how you feel, but at least you're okay with it. You're okay with it. Like there's honesty there. I think some people would be really, they would want to share that with the world. You're like, nah, fuck it. When you can make yourself vulnerable in a story, I feel like that's when the content gets interesting. Um, in the story, I didn't feel super vulnerable. Like I think yeah. I have other stories that like, I wouldn't say that this is a, a great example of a story where, where I really, you know, revealed something scary or terrifying about myself. Yeah. I, I feel like owning it, right. Instead of right. like, you don't have to be the best person. You don't have to be the superstar. I think what was fun in this story is it's surprising, right. That the director was just so candid. And I, in retrospect, that was probably not a great thing for him to say, but for me, I really, I found it sort of refreshing, right. Just to like have somebody be so honest. And I think the end is funny. It's fun, right. Just sort of toying yeah. that there's a few things happening. There's kind of my constant delusion where I keep thinking like, oh, wow, this is my moment. Mm -hmm. And then also this moment where I can pick between, you know, making this movie, which I want to make, or kind of getting revenge on this person that wasn't very nice to me. And for me, there was no question, right? right. I, I had no hesitation. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's Great. Make a movie. Yep. Let's make a movie. <laughs> Best news I've heard all day. <laughs> right. 
Do you, when you are ready, when you are getting ready to perform, whether that's on Zoom or live, do you get nervous? I do. You do? Um, what do you do to deal with those nerves? I try to breathe, especially if I don't, if I don't know when I'm going up. Like it's hard for me to enjoy a show when I'm competing in it. Right. Because I'm just, I'm sort of in a different mindset, but um, yeah, breathing. One thing I really appreciate about grit is you'll always say to people, take your time. And it sounds sincere. And I think that's great, right? Because we're online, you know, you don't even have that moment to walk on stage where you can kind of mentally think to yourself, okay, I'm about to go. It's you just turn on your camera and boom, yeah. you're, you're on the internet. So I think just for me, catching my breath, you know, just giving myself a moment to center, to try to remember, you know, what it is that I'm going to share, mm-hmm. get excited for it. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, the times I would get the most nervous is if I'm either not super prepared or if it's something really vulnerable, right? If it's something that I wouldn't say that I'm afraid to share, but something that is scary to share at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Those stories, especially the first time I share something new, that's, that's really heavy and deep. It's exciting, but it, it's also, yeah, it can also definitely make me nervous. Do you have any storytellers, I suppose favorite storytellers that you just absolutely adore? Now, I know you're in a storytelling community. So by saying one or two names, you're not saying other names. So if that's weird, I get it. But anyone come to mind that uh, you really dig their stuff? See, I mean, there's so many people whose stories yeah. I love. Um, I really, I love stories that capture a real human moment. I really love social commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to do that in 99 seconds. It's hard to tell a story and make a bigger point. Uh, it's something like Hassan Minaj. I love solo shows and I love, I love artists who kind of take their personal narratives and use that to, or like Hannah Gadsby. Yes. Like taking kind of a, a personal narrative and using that to make a wider point. Yeah. That's one of my favorite elements of storytelling, right? So hard. I love it when it's done well. 99, you're doing really well and you're winning it like nonstop. And then almost the opposite of 99, you're doing a solo show class, right? I am taking a solo show class, like, yeah. Which arguably a solo show could be a couple minutes, but usually they are longer, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what's one thing I'm curious that you're learning in that class? Because storytelling and that overlap a ton. Anything you want to share uh, that might help our audience? I mean, for me, I'm really excited about the idea of solo shows. Solo show just kind of came on my radar. Like I didn't know that was a thing. I guess I'd seen a couple. Like I'd seen Billy Crystal's, uh, one of his solo shows. But I feel like a lot of my, a lot of what I write doesn't fit into a particular genre or doesn't necessarily fit in a particular time frame. Mm-hmm. And like my poems tend to be very, I'm a slam poet, but a lot of my poems tend to be very narrative and my stories can be poetic, especially my longer ones. And, and I have a lot of stories that have overlapping themes. And so I'm really excited to put together, you know, sometimes I've done a, a set, like a 30 minute set or an hour set. And I'll kind of figure out, okay, here's four or five pieces on a theme and I'll do them. But to actually kind of put that together intentionally into a fluid solo show with an overarching, you know, a narrative yeah. that goes through it. I just think it's going to be such a fun challenge. Where um, where are you in that process right now in this class? or? Uh, so in this class, I've been, I've brought a different manuscript every week right now because I haven't been able to commit. I have, I have a lot of ideas. So. I know it's so hard. Yeah, I'm I'm experimenting. I guess 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm doing my first solo show. It's on. You wait. You're actually doing one. Yeah. Set the date. That'll get your ass in gear. That's for sure. It's in two weeks. What? Saturday, June fifth. Uh, is it on Zoom? Uh, it will be. It's through the People's Improv Theater. Uh, it's a theater in New York City. They have a festival called SoloCom. So it's a what? festival it's... of solo shows, and mine is one of the shows in the festival. But is it live or is it in person or? Uh, to be determined. So it will stream wow. at a specific time slot, 6.30 p.m. on that Saturday. I have the option of either performing it live or submitting a video. Um, I'm debating right now because I might do something. Because we're online, I'm really debating. Do I lean in and integrate a bunch of multimedia stuff? And a lot of time to make those decisions. It's only two weeks away. I've been writing a few different manuscripts at the same time, trying to... S- Figure out what I mean, look, I, it's not as if I, I would imagine some of these big chunks of it aren't entirely new to you. They're, you're taking from all the stuff you've created over the years, I'm sure. You know what I mean? But still, if it's 30 plus minutes. 30 minutes. Uh, 30 minutes, right? That's a, that's a hell of a challenge, man. Yeah, I'm excited. So now let's talk a little bit about story number two from the slam, the one that won you first place. I mean, yeah, I mean, that story also went through a lot of editing. Mm. Yes. That was one I'd never told before. That was a new, not from a moth. That oh, was this. So, so the winning story, the second round story was crafted for a 99. Yeah. It wasn't a longer story. Yeah. That was just, it was a, that was one that was brand new. And there was a lot of versions or different sort of drafts. Yeah. Yes. Lots of different drafts. Same. And I workshopped that in the, the workshop that you run the Fridays before, which was really yeah. helpful. I remember the surprise of it because so that's an example of an, like an OMG moment that we were saying earlier, you don't need in stories, but that is like, wow, that happened. Like you really did that to that famous guy and you did that, like, but you leverage it. I mean, it's there. It happened. It's kind of, it's like an interesting thing. Right. I mean, yeah. In that story, it's something kind of wild that happens that involves this, you know, celebrity rock star. Right. But the interesting part of the story, right, is that kind of that that happened, but the interesting part of the story is sort of my decision or what I do. I don't think a story necessarily needs kind of that, like, wow, this is something crazy that happens. That one happened to have that. Yeah. But to make it work, you're right. You need to typically, and not always, but most people typically need to work through it, get some feedback, make it tighter, make it the ending a little bit, whatever you want to make it, which you did. Sure. I mean, um, have like, here's a crazy thing that happened. I got in David Crosby's limo. Right. And so what? Okay. Like, why should we care? Why is this something somebody would want? Right. Other than sort of telling a story to a friend in a bar, just. Um, right. 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 And those are different goals, right? If you're at a bar or wherever and it's just fun, it's a different energy. And maybe you don't have to worry about the ending. It's just, it's just crazy what happened. And I, that's that, but that doesn't work so much in a, whether it's a slam or not, it's it needs to be, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the structure, a beginning, middle, end, you know? Like I know for that story, you had to figure out, I think, where's it going? Like, how does it end? What's it really about? Yeah, I think my big my biggest challenge in that story was explaining my motivation, right? I think one of the big edits I made was in the beginning, kind of saying like, this is my night off, mm-hmm. right? That I have this night and I want to make the most out of this night. And you know that about me, right? That I'm... Mm-hmm working a lot and I have this night off and I want to make the most out of this night. And I'm trying to figure out how to make that happen Mm -hmm. and kind of setting that up in the beginning. 
right, then the choice has stakes, right? That I'm choosing between these two different things and which right. thing is going to give me right, the best night, which one is right, really going to give me what I want out of this night. No, but that's such a great example of like, when you know what your story is really about, the direction it's going, kind of where it ends or lands, then it informs everything else. Yeah. So that it informs the very beginning of your story and how you sort of frame it. It's a good example. I took a storytelling class through Upright Citizens Brigade. John Flynn was the instructor over the winter. He would always say like, what's your major dramatic question? What's the question that your character is trying to answer? Right? How am I gonna make the most out of this night? Right, I guess would be sort of the question in that story. And that's kind of the story that you want to let people know early on. This is what my character wants, right? My character yeah. is trying to accomplish this or is trying to figure out this thing. I'm trying, I'm auditioning for the movie. I really want to be in a movie. I want to make the most out of this night. Then we kind of know what you want. And then in the ending, when you tell us kind of, do you get it or not? There's this satisfaction because you've mm-hmm. told, resolved the thing that you set up in the beginning. I like that. The major dramatic question. Yeah. I'm going to use that. Okay. That's similar to what is this really about, but it's clearer. Yeah. It's clearer. It, it, it gives it a little more. Um, any other thoughts? Yeah, I would just say, I guess one thing I would say that the during this pandemic, the online storytelling community has really just been a delight for me. Mm. One thing I really loved a lot about The Moth in Pittsburgh is it's this monthly event and you have 300 people in the audience and there was a lot of regular storytellers mm-hmm. and you hear these different pieces of people's lives and we're all different people and we would get to know each other and we just you know, over years became friends and and shared so much of each other's lives. And it was really special. And I miss a lot of that during the pandemic. But with all of the online storytelling events, it's been really cool to meet so many new people and to form kind of a new community. And there's a number of people where I now have heard seven or eight pieces of their lives. And, um, and it's been really special. So I just, I really appreciate that. Me too. And let's hope it, I'm just wondering where it's going to go, but I guess that's a question that I can't answer yet. So. As we go back to wherever we're going back to. Going forward into something. I don't know what it'll Correct. be. Correct. I'm looking forward to seeing your show in two weeks. Yes. And I'm sure you'll be back, I hope, uh, at, a, at a slam, the 99-second slam. And if you're listening to this, whether you want to watch it or join us, I'll put a link in there. Come. There have been several first-timers who have won. It's doable. Didn't happen for me, but it could happen for oh. you. Before we say goodbye, share with me and our listeners about the event that you produce. Sure. Um, Yes, I've been producing a show over the last few months. It's called Mashed Poet Tatoes. It's a mashup of slam poetry and improv comedy. So you have a different featured poet every month, and they do a bunch of slam poems. And then improvisers create comedy scenes inspired by each poem. And then I write a new poem during the show. And it's actually, it's kind of, a, it's a story in verse. It's mm-hmm. like a story in poetic verse, kind of inspired by all of the characters and themes from throughout the night. So that's been really fun to produce, but our next episode is Saturday, May 22nd. So perhaps the day this podcast airs. And yeah, if you follow my uh, Facebook page, we've been doing them once a month, although I'm not sure what will happen in the near future. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I guess I would say mashed potatoes and, um, and check out my solo show through People's Improv Theater. Saturday, June 5th. Thank you, Tori. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. I hope your weekend goes well. All right. Thanks, Sean. You too. All right. As promised, this is Tori's second story, the one that won last week. Enjoy. So I'm 29 years old. I'm a grad student living in New York City, and tonight is my night off. 
It's a special night because I have all of these friends visiting from out of state. We hardly ever get that many people together at once. And the Allman Brothers are playing a sold out show at the Beacon Theater. Special guest for tonight, David Crosby. I love David Crosby. And me and my friends, we rage this concert. So it's like after the last song, I'm walking out of the theater and right there on Beacon Street, there's a stretch limousine and the chauffeur is holding a sign, David Crosby. I'm feeling bold. So I walk right up to the chauffeur. I look him in the eye and I say, I'm with David. And he nods, it opens up the door. So I get into the limo. He closes the door behind me and now I, I'm in Dave Crosby's limo by myself. And the show just ended. The band is still backstage. So my friends, they all head to this Irish pub on the corner and I decide I'm gonna stay in the limo. Right, I mean, meeting David Crosby, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity, right? So I'm waiting and my friends, they keep texting me from the bar. Like, where are you? It's like a family reunion. They are having so much fun. But I am determined. I'm going to make the most out of this night. So I step out of the limo. I join my friends at the Irish pub. And that night, I have the time of my life. Boom. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Tori Shine up in Pittsburgh. Thanks, Tori, for telling both of your 99-second stories and taking the time to break it down. Remember, check out the show notes for upcoming events and classes. And if you listen on Apple, help us out. Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It really does help. That is all for episode number 31. Boom.